When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, support the show by going to eeriecast.store and buying some merch. And bookmark that page, too, because pre-orders will be opening sometime next year for our upcoming special edition novel and my new card game, Cryptid. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Dead and Roasted. What can I get you? I hate trash duty. It stinks, and garbage always flies all over the place. But if we don't feed the trash god in the dumpster, he'll come out again. And good lord, we don't want that. Hey, welcome back to the break room. I hope you're ready for some new allegedly true scary work stories. I've got tales this week about peekaboo ghosts and psycho escapees. Grab us a coffee and sit back. These are tales from the break room. The Kid and the Nurse from Panda Marine. I was talking with my colleagues and friends about paranormal activities during my night shift back when I was an intern. A certain story creeped me out. This happened in a four or five story hospital. I can't remember exactly because I only worked at the ground level. During midnight, there was one nurse going down the levels via the ramp, which we used for those rolling beds. The ramp goes up to all floors since the hospital is old and doesn't have an elevator. Along the way, she found this kid, about five to eight years of age. They were lost somewhere on the second floor. The kid exclaimed that he was looking for his mama. After trying to find out where the kid had lost his mom, the nurse understood that he was describing the patient rooms at the fourth and fifth floor. So she escorted the kid just about a corner away from the nurse's station, telling him to talk to the nurses to locate his mom. She couldn't help him further as she was in a hurry to go downstairs for an emergency. The kid listened and went to the nurse's station, and she left for the bottom floor. As she arrived at the bottom floor, she asked the other nurses where the emergency was, and they directed her to the bed, saying that it was too late for the patient the doctor had already declared the patient dead. She proceeded to the bed where the doctor was. Lo and behold, by the doctor was that dead patient, a child wearing the exact same outfit as the one she escorted to the nurse's station. I was frankly creeped out by this story, but I hoped it was probably just a story. It was a story that was passed on from colleague to colleague until it finally reached me. The proper full detail of the story has been lost by then. I can't even remember why the kid died or why he was in the hospital. I grew up in a third world country. Folks tend to be a little superstitious there. We have a lot of beliefs ranging from ghosts to demons and whatnot. It's usually a cautionary tale to make folks keep safe, to keep them away from the dark, to keep walking on the beaten path to avoid getting lost or worse, killed. But it's not rare to hear stories about ghosts in places where death is commonplace, like hospitals. 
There is no warning or message from this story of the kid and the nurse, except maybe on a personal level. Perhaps to some, it's the story of a loved one who doesn't want to cross to the afterlife yet. Others may see it as the constant life of healthcare professionals who battle against the jaws of death to keep people alive. Or maybe it's a symbol of the fear of death itself, that, in a way, the dead won't know they're dead. Warning. The following story contains mentions of assault. Stalker in the Woods From Vladimir The property I work at has a decent number of trees along the back. Some might even call it a mini forest. Within those woods are numerous animals, from deer to coyote. I've even seen foxes, bats, turkeys, and vultures. When I was first moved to third shift, the main thing I was told was to be aware of my surroundings when I was outside. At first, I was on high alert when I would take the trash out. The idea of meeting a coyote during my garbage run wasn't thrilling even if a small part of me wanted to see one. After a while, when nothing happened, I lowered my guard and forgot about the warning. That was until my boss told me the animals weren't what I needed to watch out for. Apparently, people like to venture into those woods and they enjoy causing problems for security. The reason she told me this was because on one of my nights off, a group of men came on the property and stole some air conditioners. Out there, every little sound made me pause. I would even hold my breath until I knew there was nothing there. As time went on and nothing happened, the warning erased itself from my mind. My work has a few sister locations, one of them being about a 10 to 20 minute walk from the back parking lot. The residents in that house are more mobile and more dangerous. If they weren't mentally disabled, they would be in jail. After learning this fact, you would think my boss's warning would have returned to me. But it didn't. It was either late 2018 or early 2019 when something happened that would make me remember. The dumpster company who empties our compactor had come late, so first and second couldn't take out the trash that day. The first half of my night was taking the two shifts garbage out myself. Eventually, it began to rain. I was elbow deep in garbage and soaking wet. You'd better believe I was angry. At one point, I started to cuss out loud, angrily throwing the trash away. I even kicked at the dumpster out of rage. Halfway done, though, I shut up because something felt off. I had that feeling of eyes staring into my back, and it made me tense up. Had security caught me making a scene? I turned around, but I discovered I was alone. I couldn't figure out why I felt like someone was watching me. Ignoring it, I went back to tossing bags into the compactor, then went back inside. Stepping off the elevator, I was greeted by Three East's floor supervisor. She asked me about all the trash, specifically third shifts, since no one had been able to pull it. With a sigh, I gave up and began doing my shift's trash. No sense waiting on it now, I thought. After Three East, I made my way to Three West, where I saw a resident staring out the kitchen window. That was odd, 
because she should have been asleep by then. I silently walked past, and I began to open the trash can. But I jumped when she grabbed my sleeve, taking me right out of my thoughts. Oh, uh, what is it, honey? I asked. Her reply was simply to point. I glanced out and only saw rain and trees in that direction. Her finger then moved along the glass only to stop at what I assumed were the bushes. There, she finally said. Get it. Thinking she meant an animal, I nodded. Alright, I'll go get it. Just let me get the trash first, I answered. Satisfied with that answer, she walked back to her room. Luckily, the rain had died down when I made it back outside. A few feet away was a group of deer grazing. I've been able to gain a little trust with the deer at work. As I never bothered them when I'm out there and they never run off when they see me, they'll even come within a few inches near me, and as long as I don't make a sudden movement, they don't run away. That night was no different. They saw me and immediately went back to eating after I said a simple hello. As soon as I opened the squeaky door to the dumpster, I felt as if someone was staring at me again. Convincing myself it was one of the deer, I started to toss the trash inside. I then carefully closed the blue bin we used to escort garbage outside so as to not scare the deer. Then I scanned the area, but I couldn't shake that feeling that someone was watching me. Please just be deer, I thought to myself. At some point, they had moved closer to me, but none of them were looking at me. All of their eyes were locked on the woods. Their bodies appeared positioned to run if needed. I immediately became nauseous. Was it coyotes? The deer would have run by now if it was coyotes, right? The sound of falling tree limbs breaking filled the area, which meant whatever was in there was closer than I hoped. At that point, the deer scattered, which meant it was time for me to go back inside. As I quickly pushed the blue bin, I heard the rustling of trees and bushes as if something was running. My power walk turned into a run. I got back inside and nervously waited for the door to shut, making sure it was locked. Suddenly, a message came over the intercom. The building is on lockdown. No one is allowed in or out. I repeat, we are on lockdown until further notice. Lucky me, I didn't have to finish the trash that night. I wasn't 100% sure what the lockdown was for, though. I told security about what happened when I was outside, just in case it helped. Turns out, that was related to what had happened. At 7am, I found out the full story. I found out how lucky I had been. One of the residents from the sister location, 20 minutes away, had escaped. He was one of the dangerous ones. He loved fighting, and usually wouldn't stop until you weren't moving anymore. He also loved to physically assault people, if you catch my drift. It didn't matter what gender you were, if he got the urge, he'd force you down. And his favorite victims were people he thought were showing off, and to him that was people who cussed, threw tantrums, or beat up objects out of rage. Exactly what I'd been doing out there when he was lurking about in the woods. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. What If? From Jason R. I've shared one of my more memorable moments during my time as a detention deputy here already. At that time, I thought hearing an ethereal voice in the middle of an empty building would be the scariest moment of my life. But that fear came in the moment, as it would turn out there's something even more frightening. A fear that comes half a month after something has happened. Something that seemed, at the time, to be pretty innocuous as innocuous something could be in that profession. I'd been with the sheriff's office for a couple of years, and I was a wreck. I hated waking up and getting dressed for work. I spent 12 hours waiting in agony for the vestibule door to open and for my relief to walk in. When I got off work, I needed something to make the heck I sat through somehow seem worth it. In my case, this something was shiny, plastic, and expensive. I loved collectibles. I couldn't get enough of them. I loved them to the point of sheer stupidity. And as it would turn out, I loved them to the point that I pointlessly, unknowingly put my life in jeopardy. Worse still, I put the life of the person I love most in the world in jeopardy as well. Here's where things get crazy. I mean, stupid. I'd actually work overtime so I could buy pricier junk. Normally, this overtime was just a few extra hours, but still, considering how much I hated the place, it was stupid. It was a vicious cycle. Hate my work, buy something worthless to make it seem worth it, hate work even more. But that junk never filled the hole. I always needed pricier junk, so I worked even more. A vicious, idiotic circle. Now, each jail comes with a clinic. In a jail, clinics are essential. One day, the oncoming shift needed a deputy to sit on an inmate in the clinic. Now, in jail speak, sit means you stand guard over one inmate, not literally sit on them. This duty assignment is unique, usually reserved for suicidal inmates, or in this case, inmates that are hospitalized. This probably doesn't come as a surprise, but more than a few inmates come into jail with severe problems. One of the most difficult things I had to watch were men going through DTs. When a person is forced to detox off of whatever they're on, be it alcohol or hardcore drugs, it's brutal. There's always screaming, crying, shaking, vomiting. I'll stop there, but it does go on. Anyway, the deputies on my shift were just as much in a hurry to leave as I should have been. All I got was a brief rundown on the guy I was supposed to watch, an African-American male in his late 20s. He shouldn't get up or do anything. He's pretty wasted. Hearing that he was that wasted led me to believe he was coming down off something. As it would turn out, he wasn't. I unfolded what was left of my book and sat down. The guy I was watching was a mess. He was covered in what could best be described as bed sores. I'll save you the gory details. 
Now I considered myself a decent deputy. Not because I could lay someone out, but because I could talk them down. This guy suddenly regained consciousness, with a vengeance. He stood right up and walked around flailing his arms before losing his footing and bouncing off his bunk. I was gloved up so I didn't hesitate to scoop him up and help him get back into bed. Keep in mind he had wounds all over his body. Several of them had opened up. It was quite unpleasant. He got up a couple of other times during the time I watched him. Both times I told him to get back into bed, telling him the nurses were going to check in on him and he needed to keep still. Thankfully, he listened. Four hours later, I was relieved, in more ways than one. I stripped off my latex gloves and went home, taking a shower and going to bed. I used that overtime money to go out to someplace nice to eat or bought something I didn't need. A week or so later, I found out that guy had gotten into two dust-ups. Well, if you could call them that. Mainly, he had tried to stand up and swing on one of the deputies before falling again. Shortly after that, he became bedridden. Then, not long after that, he died from AIDS. No one had told me he was HIV positive. I didn't find out until two weeks later. As soon as I discovered this, I made sure my wife and I were both tested, and thank God we were both negative. Two whole weeks I could have been an oblivious time bomb, one that could have ruined both our lives. I was a newlywed. My coworkers knew I was married, but not one of them bothered to warn me that he had AIDS. What if he had swung on me, hit me, busted my skin, and got his blood on me? My stupidity and the negligence of my coworkers could have caused my wife and I to contract a deadly disease. As time wore on with this job, the constant stress, fear, and sheer anger from it strained my relationship with my wife. She would later tell me that it had gotten so bad she felt we were either going to get a divorce or I was going to wind up dead. So I made the best decision I could. I moved on, I went to college, and I never looked back. Not until later, that is. Whenever I think of my time behind those walls, a cold chill goes up my spine. When I think about all the what-ifs and look over at my beautiful wife, it terrifies me to this very day. I have trouble sleeping. I have since around 2001, and I'll probably have trouble sleeping for the rest of my life. So why tell you all this? Because there are things far more terrifying than some otherworldly paranormal monster hiding behind the corners of an abandoned building. One such terror is that of a sick man getting treated in a hospital, lying right in front of you in a brightly lit room. Rona Ghost from Damien Y. When Corona hit the US back in late 2019, I was working at a small hospital in a rural central Minnesota town. I worked the night shift, 10.30 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was a phlebotomist at the hospital. I've worked in the healthcare field in various capacities and held various titles the last 25 years. I was used to working those hours and seeing weird things at night. But this experience was by far the weirdest, and I experienced this event with another person. It was mid-May 2020. 
the hospital reached COVID peak. Every room in the hospital was occupied by COVID patients. Since we were a small hospital, we only had six ICU beds. Of those six rooms, only one room came with an air filtration system. This room was our designated tuberculosis infection room for patients with active TB. By this time in the pandemic, it was clear that every room needed to have air filtration systems. We were in the process of installing the systems, which took time. So the worst patients were put in this one room for a couple of days. When they got better, we put them in a regular room. The COVID patients were rotating in and out of the ICU room, ICU-1. That particular morning, I was called to go draw the patient in ICU-1. Normally, we have a morning round, which started at 5.30. But the charge nurse wanted results for this patient before 5 a.m. She was making arrangements with an outside hospital for a possible transfer. After gowning up, I entered ICU-1. The room was larger than the other rooms on that floor because of its TB designation. And because of COVID, every furniture item in the room had been removed. The only things in the room were the patient in his bed, the two IV poles, a stainless steel hospital tray, and one of those PVC pipe chairs that the patient could sit on over a toilet. I turned on all the lights in the room. The curtain that normally covered the double sliding doors was pushed to one side. The room was bright and visible to anyone in the hallway. I introduced myself to the patient. He was awake, and he acknowledged my presence. He was already in a sitting position on his bed, so I didn't have to incline his head. I went ahead and pulled his bed up to my waist so I didn't have to bend down. This patient was an overweight man in his 60s. He wore an oxygen mask. The sound of the hissing oxygen was the background noise in the room. The air filtration system also made a low humming, continuous sound in the room too. Now, because he was a big man, it was difficult to find a vein in his left arm. In his right arm, he had two IV lines with running medication and fluids, so that arm was not suitable for a blood draw. So I continued to search for a vein in his left arm. The whole time, he watched me. We made eye contact a couple of times. I calmly told him what I was doing. Then, suddenly, the patient looked away towards the foot of his bed, as if a person had entered the room, taking his attention away from mine. I turned to look as well. A figure was standing there. I got the sense it was a female. They were slender, wearing blue hospital scrubs. I could tell her hair was blonde. As all this information formed in my head, I also knew that the figure was not real. The sliding door was closed as I had left it closed, and I had not heard a single person enter behind me. And the figure was not gowned up for room entry. I did a double take just in case because the face was blurry, and I thought maybe my face shield was making me see weird reflections. I adjusted the shield. The figure was still there facing me. I didn't recognize it. I'd worked there for 13 years and I knew just about everyone on that night shift. I looked at the patient then, and they looked at me. We stared at each other for a brief second as we both tried to comprehend the new entity in the room. Then I turned back to the figure, but it crouched down and disappeared. 
From where I stood beside the bed and the foot of the bed was only an arm's length away. I pulled the tourniquet loose from the patient's arm, pulling up the bedside rail and telling the patient to hold on for a second. Then I looked under the bed. I rounded the bed to the other side and looked under the bed again. Then I walked to the sliding door, peeking out into the darkened hallway. No one was there. There was no one out there at the nurse's station midway down the hall. I turned back to the room, just standing by the door, looking in. The room was bright. There was no place in it to hide. I surveyed the whole room still from one end to the other, and as I did, my patient watched me, his eyes wide. He was talking, but with the oxygen mask on, it was hard to understand what he was saying. After I was sure there was no one else in the room with us, I returned to the bedside and continued with the procedure. Then it happened again. The figure rose at the end of the bed. The patient's head swiveled to stare at the figure, and I did too. The figure ducked down again. I pulled the tourniquet, untied it from the patient's arm, quickly took a step back, and ducked down to see if I could catch the prick. Nothing. I stood there. My nerves were rattled a bit by then. I looked at my patient, sighed, and said, I don't know what's going on, but I really do need to get your blood before the nurse bites my head off. I then returned to my task. Finally, I found a good vein. I concentrated on it, but I felt the presence of the figure at the foot of the bed. I felt it watching me. I wasn't nervous about being watched, I was very focused on getting the blood. The vein was very small. If I let my nervousness take over, I would have to start over. I would have to stay in that room even longer. And at that point, I was going to do everything within my power to get out of there as fast as possible. Halfway through the blood draw, the patient's gaze turned back to the foot of his bed. Without moving my head, I glanced sideways, and I saw the figure there. It was playing hide-and-seek with me. I was starting to feel uneasy, but mostly, I didn't want to have to poke the patient again. I put all my concentration into finishing the blood draw. After I was done, I labeled the blood tubes, taped up the patient, put his bed down, and patted the man's arm. Before turning to go, I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what that was, but that was strange. The man only shrugged his shoulders at me. We stared at each other for a long few seconds. Then I exited the room, turned off the lights, degowned, and returned to the lab. I didn't feel the full effect of chills until I made it to the lab. I had no idea what that was. I didn't sense any malice in the entity's presence. But this wasn't the first time I experienced unexplainable occurrences at the hospital, and I never found out if that patient lived or died. Whenever I had to go back to that ICU room to do blood draws on patients, this event played back in my mind, making the hair on my neck stand up. Tales from the Break Room is a viewer-submitted podcast featuring allegedly true scary stories that happened on the way to, on the way from, or at work. If you want your story to be narrated on the show, send it to us at eeriecast.com submit. As of April 14th, we're paying three cents per word for stories that are approved and make it onto the show. Submission does not guarantee approval or payment. For a limited time only, PayPal only. 
Tales from the Break Room is an eerie cast network original podcast hosted by Darkness Prevails. You can follow him on Twitter at Dark Prevails, and you can hear thousands more stories read by him on our other show, Unexplained Encounters. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate Tales from the Break Room on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also enjoy plenty more horror-themed podcasts at eeriecast.com. <laughs>